As we turn our attention now to God's Word, in a few moments we'll read from Mark chapter 4. But as we prepare to do that, I want to remind you that for the weeks that I've been preaching on occasion prior to today, I've been doing a series on hymns. And we're going to do that. We're going to continue that this week and in the weeks ahead, perhaps waiting to begin a series when we're actually in person together. I think it would be easier to continue this series, though it's not what I would have chosen to do under these circumstances, but it is our circumstances. But this morning, we're going to consider the call to calm down the truth that disciples need not worry, because the Lord will provide. That's where we're going, but we're going to get there this way. We as a people are familiar with worry. Some of us are more anxious than others, but all of us know what it is to worry. I found an article this week in preparing for this written by a guy named Don Goey that says 85% of what we worry about never actually happens. Think about that. 85% of the things that won't let you go to sleep at night or that awaken you at 3 a.m. and get your mind churning, 85% of that never even happens. But life can become defined by those things as if they are happening. It was the French philosopher Michel de Montaigne who said this, My life has been filled with many terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. Think about that. My life has been filled with so much misfortune, but most of it never really happened. I was just worried that it would. And so to be human, to be fallen, is to be associated with worry. There's something about the human heart that is absurdly worried that things will go wrong. Now, let me tell you what happened to me this week. The strangest of things. Listen carefully. I had just agreed and been named pastor for GPC Church. And Archie Moore walked up to me with a look unlike anything I've seen from him. And he reached into his coat pocket And he took out what I quickly saw was a syringe. He then plunged it into my arm and put whatever was in the syringe in my body and then quickly withdrew from my body my own blood. And I realized at that moment exactly what was happening. It made all the sense in the world. Archie Moore had set me up for this. And he was, I was convinced, stealing my DNA. I didn't know why, but I had a panic about me, and so I ran away. But as I ran away, my legs didn't work like they normally would because of whatever he had shot into my arm, it must have dulled my legs. And I ran as fast as I could, and I turned around, and there was Archie Moore because he's a fast runner. And then, at that moment of disappointment of what had happened to me, I woke up. And I thought to myself, first I thought, what have I done? (laughs) 
And then I said to myself, it was just a dream. What an absurd dream. Now, you may need to know that a day or two before this, I had watched a Mission Impossible spy movie on TV. And I think that must have been in the back of my head. It sounds like it would make a great movie, doesn't it? I literally, I I had this dream. And I share it with you because it is so absurd. Anybody who knows Archie Moore knows he's not going to do that. He wouldn't know what to do with a syringe, right? But he was so sophisticated in how he handled it and used it. It was an absurd dream. And I share it with you because it happened, but also because it is reflective of the human heart and the absurd worries that can dwell in our hearts and in our minds. It's, that's as absurd a dream as I've, I've ever had, and I've had a lot of absurd dreams. What we have in our text this morning from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, is going to sound terrifyingly real, because it was. But in the end of the reading, I want you to hear for how Jesus calls it out as an absurd worry. Listen to God's Word, Mark Chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. They took Jesus along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall, a storm came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray that God would help us hear the beauty in the midst of the terror that we often find ourselves living. Let's pray. Lord, would you show yourself this morning to be the Prince of Peace? Whatever our terrors are, whatever our storms, whatever our fears or our worries in this life, Would you bring that balm and that calm of the gospel near to each of our hearts? We ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a few years ago, probably five or six years ago, my son Palmer, he is our number three child, When he was probably eight, maybe nine years old, maybe seven or eight, I'm not sure exactly how old he was, he he had a dental problem. 
and I was to take him to pediatric dentistry here in Greenwood. And so he was going to actually have a few teeth pulled, which if you think about that as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, for me, that, that'd be a terrible, terrifying, horrific experience. And so it's my job to take him on this day to go have his teeth pulled. And so we're driving to the dentist, and I ask him, I said, Palmer, how do you feel about what's about to happen? And he was like, okay, I'm all right. And I wondered at that moment if he really understood what it, what it was going to be like to get a shot in your gum and to have your teeth pulled. So for, for the time being, I, I kind of concluded that, okay, just don't tell him. Don't tell him what's coming. It would be easier for him to find himself in the midst of it. So we get to the dentist and we go in and the dentist office is perfectly situated to put children at ease and to make them calm. They have animals and zoo animals painted on walls and a giraffe head that actually drops down through the ceiling, all creating an environment so that a child will feel at home. To make it better, they have a a TV going with a child's movie on it. And so Palmer and I went in, we checked in, and we sat down, and Palmer saw the movie. And it was a movie I don't remember, but he was interested in. And he, he did what I do remember, was he sat in his chair the way that I sit in a chair when I watch a movie. He had his hands behind his head, and his feet up, and his legs crossed. And he was just reclining and enjoying the movie. And I again said to myself, he doesn't know what's coming on the other side of the door, but we'll just let it go. About a minute or two later, the next customer came in the door. It was a little girl with her father. The girl was about Palmer's age, but she didn't walk in with any sense of calm whatsoever. She was screaming. She was crying, she was snorting, she was red-faced, and she was saying things like, Dad, no, no, no! And they signed in, and they came over and sat next to us. And I wondered if now Palmer would realize he's in for it, because someone his age seems to know something he doesn't. Nope, he's got his arms behind his head, his feet crossed, he's watching the movie, it's as if none of this is even bothering him. A few moments later, the little girl runs to the bathroom. And there you hear, she has dry heaves. So worked up, so scared, so terrified of what is about to happen. And her daddy goes in and he's comforting her. And he's saying, honey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. she She is having the worst day of her life. I look at Palmer. Surely now he realizes he should be a little bit concerned. Arms are crossed behind his head, feet, his ankles are crossed, watching a movie. He is the picture of calm. She is the picture of anxiety. And then the last episode in the dentist's office is when the nurse came to the door, and he called out, she called out the little girl's name and said, it's time for you. And here come the tears. She doesn't want to go back there. The door closes And what we heard from that moment on for several minutes, it was as if they were cutting her arms and her legs off. And I looked at Palmer, and he's the picture of calm. 
So the purpose of my illustration and as it relates to our text is some can feel calm, some can be an anxious wreck. What is the difference between the two? Well, I would like to say the difference is parenting, but it's not. (laughs) The difference is not parenting. But I do wonder if on some level, in the back of the mind or in the depth of a heart, if a child can be at, at peace when they're in the presence of a loving parent, and they know that parent will intervene for their good and would get them out of a bad situation if they needed it. You know, I suppose there's some truth to that. That when we know we're in the presence of authority that is for us and that will protect us, I think there is a calmness that a child can feel And I think that calmness is available to the children of God. But I think that you and I tend to not think that way or believe that way, and we tend to be an anxious wreck in this life when we never had to be. It was never supposed to be that way. And so as we look at our passage this morning, let me ask you personally, whether you're an adult or a child, Have you ever known that kind of peace of God in the midst of a scary situation, a life-threatening situation, an uncertain situation, a life-changing situation? Have you ever been able to say, but I'm under the authority of a loving Father who has the power to intervene and He is always for my good? You see, that can bring calmness to any situation in life, or in death. There are four simple points from our passage this morning in Mark chapter 4, helping us to see what is there and to apply it to our lives. The first point is this, summing up what is happening in the text. Jesus is fatigued from ministry, and he's withdrawing by boat while sleeping on a cushion. And there are many things that could be said about this, things that you could think upon this week. Why is Jesus tired? If he's the living Lord, why is he physically tired and needing to sleep? Well, there's a reason for that. He is both God and man. The hypostatic union, which someday we'll talk about, but he is fully God, fully man, which means he fully empathizes with us in our fatigue, in our weariness in this life. He had to lie down and rest. He wanted to withdraw from the crowds. It was time for him to get away and be alone and to rest and to go somewhere else. Some of us who are introverts understand this. There's a time to get in the boat and go away. And Jesus did the same. But at that moment, while they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, our second point is that a furious storm comes up out of nowhere. Just like circumstances in life for us. Just like pandemics. And it came out of nowhere. Where did this come from? How has suddenly life turned upside down? A furious storm presents itself against these disciples who were with Jesus. And then the third point from the text. The disciples are fearful for their lives. They wake Jesus up saying, 
what surely were painful words for Jesus to hear from his disciples. Lord, don't you care? And so Jesus, in our fourth point, shows himself to be the faithful Lord who speaks with creation authority and muzzles the storm. Now, there's a depth of beauty here in that one point that I want to emphasize. You remember or you understand that creation was God making all things out of nothing by the word of his power, speaking it to be. And he did it all in six days, and it was all very good. So the Lord spoke creation into being, and out of nothing came everything. And now that same Lord stands in a boat in a storm, and with His words, He speaks to that creation. And He silences it. He tells it to be quiet. Or literally, the word here is, He muzzles it, like we would an animal. He puts a muzzle on the storm. The same word that he'll use later to talk about his dealing with demons. He muzzles demons. He muzzles creation. He muzzles storms because he's the author of creation. He's the Lord of creation. And in this event, in this act, Jesus demonstrates in jaw-dropping manner for us that he really is in control of everything. And he turns to his disciples who had asked him that painful question of, well, Lord, don't you care? And he says to them another question. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then they respond with an appropriate question. They then surmise everything that has just happened, and they say what? They say, who is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. And in this story, which is one of my favorite stories, I love this story, Jesus demonstrates his power, his authority, his protection of his people. It's as if he's saying, calm down, calm down. Remember who I am. Remember that I am with you. Remember that I am for you. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that kind of calmness and comfort belongs to you. Now, if you're standing outside of wanting to be a disciple of Jesus, if you're standing outside of having faith in Jesus, that calmness is available to you if you become a disciple. But to his disciples, he says, the Lord will provide. You are going to be okay. Why are you worrying? And so to apply it to us in, in our modern day context, you know, I can ask you, what is it that you're worrying about? No doubt you have plenty to worry about in the midst of a pandemic. Some are losing income. Some are losing jobs. We've all lost rhythm and life routine which is a small but an upsetting thing. And in the midst of all that, some of us are probably worrying more and are more anxious than others. But to all of us who are disciples, Jesus is saying, calm down. 
calm down. The Lord will provide. Now, we may need to live through the terror and fear of being in a boat and thinking we're going to drown. But the promise that God makes to his people is, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And those are the most comforting words. Those are the words we're dying to hear. Those are the words we want to know. Philip Keller has a wonderful quote. I don't have it printed to show on the screen, but I'll read it. Uh, Listen to this as it sums up well this whole context of what we're speaking of. He says, The absolute basic belief that every child of God must come to is that if he or she lives in obedience to God's Word and in joyous harmony with our Father, meaning you're walking as a disciple, nothing can impinge on our lives but by His permission. To live in close communion with Christ is to experience daily the calm assurance of God's complete care and management of every detail in our walk with Him. No matter if trials or turmoil come, no matter if there is trouble, no matter if there is pain or poverty, each is for a supreme purpose of my Father and is allowed to impact me for my ultimate benefit and for His honor. That sums up so well the posture that we should have as disciples. But let's be honest, it's the posture that we fail to find in ourselves. But there is a calmness, there is a peace, there is a confidence. There's a confidence that is available to us as disciples. Jesus looked at his own disciples and said, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not believe? And that's the question that perhaps this week each of us could turn on ourselves. Why am I so afraid? Do I still not believe? God has proved himself over and over. He has proved himself to be the provider that we want and to be the provider that we need. I want to close with a story from our hymn writer, about our hymn writer. So the hymn that we'll sing is The Lord Will Provide. This is another hymn by John Newton, and we considered him several weeks ago. And uh, this story is found in this same book that I've used several times with you. Our Hymn Writers and Their Hymns by Faith Cook. And early on in the beginning of the discussion of John Newton, who you need to remember would not come to faith in Christ until in his 40s, I think it was. Late 30s or early 40s, if I remember correctly. Early on, when he was 17 years old, John Newton had a dream. It wasn't about syringes and pastors and absurd things like that. It was an absurd sounding dream and it was terrifying, but it was beautiful. And if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you're going to think that somehow he knew a story that had never been told. But listen to this and the beauty and the wonder of it. A 17 year old sailor awoke suddenly from an alarming dream. For some days after, he could neither eat or sleep nor work satisfactorily, 
so troubled was he by all that he had dreamt. In his dream, John Newton had been standing on the deck of his ship as it sailed out of Venice Harbor. A stranger unexpectedly appeared and offered him the gift of a ring. As long as he kept the ring in safety, all would be well with him. The stranger assured him of this. But if he should lose that ring, nothing but trouble and disaster would be his lot. Confidently, the young man accepted the ring, satisfied that he could fulfill the conditions. And then that stranger disappeared. But just at that moment, a second figure appeared. And noting the ring on John's finger, he began to persuade him that he had been deceived. The thing was worthless, and the sooner he flung it over the side of the ship and into the depths, all the better. Skeptical at first, the dreamer was at last convinced by the second stranger to take off his ring and to cast the worthless thing overboard. But no sooner had it touched the water than flames lit up the skyline. The distant mountains were all on fire. And then the second stranger, none other than the devil himself, told John that the ring he had just jettisoned represented all the mercy of God that had been reserved for him. And now he had thrown it away and it was gone forever. All that remained for John was fiery judgment and that he must accompany the devil immediately to the burning mountains. But at that moment of horror and despair, the first stranger reappeared. And when he heard the sorry tale, when the young man told him what had happened, he reprimanded reprimanded the young man for his folly. Would he be more careful if he gave the ring back? Scarcely could he even answer before the stranger vanished into the sea, to the depths of the sea, and would return bringing the ring back with him. As John joyfully stretched out his hand to take the ring back, the stranger said, No, if you should be entrusted with this ring again, you would very soon bring yourself into the same distress again. You're not able to keep it. But I will preserve it for you. And whenever it is needed, I'll produce it on your behalf. John Newton was 17 years old. He'd been raised by a Christian mother. He didn't believe the gospel. But somewhere in the depths of his heart, he knew that he could not be trusted with life or with death. He knew that he needed a redeemer. He knew that someone had to perform and provide for him. And some 25 years later after this, John Newton would put his faith and his trust in Christ. And then in those few years after that, he would write a hymn about how the Lord was his provider. And so we're going to close in a moment with this hymn, The Lord Will Provide. As we sing it, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing it. But listen for how he says, when trouble and danger and fears arise, know that the Lord will provide. When friends fail you, when foes attack you, know that the Lord will provide. 
The birds of creation are well cared for, and you are loved far more than they are. And though you and I I may get tossed about in life, put your trust in the Lord and know that you will not ultimately sink. God may call you to do hard and scary things, but by faith, you can do them boldly. And when doubtful and fearful, be cheered by the promises of God's Word. And though weak and frail, you can find your refuge fleeing to the strong tower that God is. And then lastly, and perhaps most beautifully, keep running and cross the finish line gray-haired and with a shout knowing that He has provided to the very end of your race. You are going to be okay. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if your trust is in Him, He says, I will provide all that you need on your behalf. Let's pray that we might believe that, and then let's sing. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for the the beauty and the wonder of the Gospel. the Lord Jesus and what He's done for His church, that we can be given examples in Scripture of surely the most terrifying of circumstances. And He tells us that when in the midst of those, we need not be afraid. Lord, we pray because I know that many of us are afraid. We're uncertain. We know what it is to worry. We're very familiar with worry. But Lord, not just through this hymn, through the Scriptures read and how we've prayed and been encouraged by your word, would you encourage us more this week? Cause us to think about these truths, to reflect on them both in song and in sermon, with our families or whether alone. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.